Good morning, City family. Um, Pastor Russ here. Good to see you. Uh, and I'm sorry that we are having to meet one more time like this online. We can look at it like we're doing it for old time's sake. We've been doing this for a while and uh, we got to meet together for a few weeks there. Um, but as was mentioned in the announcements, um, Lord willing, it won't be long. We'll see you at the building next week. Should God be so kind. Uh, before I get started today, I'd like to recognize that we have a new doctor in the house. Uh, congratulations to Dr. Tyler Glajo, who successfully defended his doctoral thesis recently, and I have it on good authority that he did so while wearing Superman jammy pants. That's a feat that not many can claim. So congratulations to Dr. Glajo. Also, um, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this uh, is the last Sunday that our sister Melanie Taylor will be here worshiping with us in Jackson. She is moving off to Houston, Texas uh, this week to go to seminary. Uh, sister Melanie, I um, want to just say on behalf of everybody that you have conducted yourself with honor and integrity and grace in your time here among us, and we are all better for knowing you. And wherever life takes you, you know you always have a home at City Fellowship. Always and always. God bless and God speed to you, sister. And lastly, before I begin, I just want to say to Malachi Roberts, uh, my little brother in Christ, <laughs> this sermon is for you. You are loved. Well, God is good, is he not? He is good in the morning. He is good in the noonday, as the old folks used to say. He's even good in the midnight hour. Um, every now and again, I have been known to, to uh, struggle with, uh, with insomnia. And uh, when you're awake and up in that midnight hour, uh, that is uh, a lonely feeling. It's really, really um, quiet and dark. Um, and sometimes it's good to feel like you're, you have some time alone to yourself, but that's different than being alone. And you get those moments in the dark of night and you can't sleep and everybody else is sleeping where you get that sense of being alone. Um, it's not good to feel alone. The aloneness of Adam was the only thing in all of God's creation that made him say that, that, that is not good. That's not in keeping with my peace. That's not in keeping with shalom. Something has to be done about that. To be alone and isolated for too long makes us into strange people. Thank you, 2020, for reminding us of that. Thank you, 2020, for reminding us that. Uh, it is good for the people of God to be together. Now, we've been going through a short uh, series here designed to remind us about that reality, to mind, remind us about the amazing things that happen when Jesus' people gather in Jesus' name. Um, we're on holy ground, even across the internet this morning. Uh, of all the kind of miracles that God uh, promises us when his people get together, 
Uh, we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, and this is actually going to be the third week of at least four. We'll be doing it again next week. We'll be looking at love. Um, the title of these, this little series within a series is called The Shape of Love. Uh, we've been discussing this shocking revelation that's made in the book of Ephesians. It's a part of a prayer on the part, uh, uh, out of the mouth of Paul that when the church gathers, he says he recognizes that the love that is on display there in the church is intended to be such that it would help us and the watching world see the height, the width, the depth uh, of, the, of the love that the Lord has for us in Jesus Christ, for, for humanity in Jesus Christ, for creation in Jesus Christ, that that love that he has should be on display, should make uh, his love visible. The love between us would make his love visible, tangible, make the unseeable seeable. This is such an important revelation that we've paused here to extend this discussion about love. Vitally important. Because the love that we have, or the lack thereof, in the church tells a story to the world about the love of God. If we do not love, or if we love wrongly, then we are teaching a lie about the love of God to the world. But if we love as we are loved by him, then his love is manifest in us. And so we've hunkered down here in the book of 1 Corinthians, specifically in chapter 13, which is a familiar passage to most of us. It's a section, uh, the, the section that Sister Marcy read for us earlier, um, is the most familiar portion. This is the part that we usually hear read at weddings. Now, as I said last week, the passage, uh, uh, this, this passage, verses 4 through 7 of, uh, of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, was not written for weddings. But it was written for a bride. Those people the apostle refers to as the bride of Christ. The church it is written for the church. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love within the church. Chapter 12 is about the diverse people of the church being unified with one another. Chapter 14 is about that same diverse people seeking the gifts that will allow them to speak clearly and be understood, especially to outsiders and visitors. And then sandwiched between these two vital concepts of unity in chapter 12, understanding in chapter 14, stands a celebration of love in chapter 13. Love sits at the middle of unity and understanding because it's crucial to unity and understanding within the church. Especially in Corinth, the, the church in Corinth is diverse. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles all coming to Jesus from a variety of different ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic levels, cultures, religions. And on top of all that ethnic, religious, and economic diversity, there are these, you know, new believers are experiencing this outpouring of the Spirit where they are coming to Jesus. And they are, are given this diversity of spiritual gifts, and they're eager to use them. They are experiencing new levels of, of, of freedom spiritually and socially and equality that they haven't experienced before in Christ. They are eager to celebrate this. They want to communicate to the world around them about their freedom they found in Jesus. They want to do so in exercising the freedom of all the gifts that they have received in the Holy Spirit. And given all these layers, these layers upon layers of diversity, how is it that the new, this new entity called the church is supposed to survive, much less achieve unity? 
How is it when, 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 when everybody is speaking from all these different perspectives with all these different gifts, how is it, how in the world are, are, are those outsiders that are watching them supposed to understand their message? Love is the only way. The church, relating, serving, communicating, and love is crucial. Again, let me, let me say it. Let me say this again so I'll believe it. Let me say this again so you'll believe it. At the crux of unity and understanding is love. At the crux of unity and understanding is it's love. This is the reason that chapter 13 sits between chapters 12 and 14. And it's a love sandwich, y'all. You can't have unity and understanding in and from the church without love. In this sense, love is crucial to both the existence and the mission of the church. Y'all hear me? Love is crucial, crucial, crucial to the existence and the mission of the church. And I use that word crucial purposefully because it's a word that finds its root in English in the word cross. The word crucial in English is a word with a Christian past. Peanut butter and jelly are crucial ingredients of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Without peanut butter and jelly, you, do, you can have all the bread you want. You do not have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at all. In the same way, love is the crucial ingredient of a church that belongs to the, to the Jesus Christ that hung on a cross. Without the love of Jesus Christ on display, without that crucified love of Christ on display in a church, you can have a big building, a thousand members, but it ain't a church. Not in the New Testament definition. Not according to Paul, not according to Jesus. It can't be. It can't be because it can't be unified in Christ without the love of Christ being present within her. It cannot, a church cannot express the message of Christ without the love of Christ being on display within and among her people. Love is crucial. Without it, the church cannot be who she is. And she can't express herself to the world in a way that's understandable or relatable. She's a clanging symbol if she has not love. And so before I go on any further, I just want to reiterate something that is fundamental to every church that Paul is writing to in the New Testament. And, and let me just remind you that they are all diverse. Corinth isn't the only one. If you go through the letters of Paul, the letters that he wrote to Corinth, Ephesus, Colossae, Rome. In all of those letters, he's writing to a diverse church. Not one of those churches is full of homogenous people that look alike and come from the same background. The diversity in each of these churches was um, really kind of a severe kind of diversity. People from truly different worlds. Some, you know, literally from different parts of the world. They were, a lot of these are, are, are places where the East and the West kind of met for trade, trade routes ran through them, port cities, but also those not only from literally different parts of the world, but from very different worlds. 
In the churches of Corinth, the very rich and the very poor were being seated next to each other in worship. In Colossae, former slaves and former slave owners were sharing communion bread. In Ephesus, former priests of Israel and former priestesses of Artemis were going out to lunch together at Red Robin after services. So imagine the daily potential for conflict. Daily. It had to be a daily potential for conflict. A daily potential for misunderstanding, for cultural blunder, for unrecognized prejudice to make its way out of people's mouths. Every day there had to be this potential for bitterness and frustration and uh, for anger. All of this, you know, it's, it's like, it's, I can only imagine these churches are like little powder cakes waiting to go off. And it is over these powder keg churches, these powder keg little houses of worship that Paul prays for love. Love is patient, he says to them. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In a, in a powder keg situation, where you have people that are trying to come out of the fog of being an oppressor, seated next to those whom they oppressed. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't keep any records of wrong. Love rejoices in the truth. So this is insane that we don't talk about the realities of the situation. You know, Paul isn't trying to whitewash over the problems that come up through this diversity. He's saying love delights in the truth. Love is patient. Love delights in the truth. Love keeps no records of wrong. I mean, think about the painful reality. Think about how some folks would hear this. Paul, keep no records of wrong. Hmm. I don't know about you, uh, but I myself just bring this forward to today, and I mean today, I mean literally today. I have failed miserably in a few of these uh, today, and I'm not literally today. For me, for you, for those in the churches of Colossae and of Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth, these verses have teeth. They are sweet at a wedding and they hurt. In church, sometimes. Pastor and author Stephen Um calls these verses the beautiful impossibility. 
And that's what they are. I agree. I mean, can you imagine a church that loved like this? That would be beautiful. And at the same time, can you even think of one church that loves like this? It's impossible. This is a beautiful impossibility. One of the weirdest things about Jesus is that he commands us to love. His first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, strength, and your neighbor as you love yourself. He is commanding us to love as we are loved. He is commanding us to love like this. He commands us not only to feel love, to feel affection, but to live love, to put legs on love. Dr. Paul Jackson and I are talking about these verses this past week, and one thing you have to know about uh, Dr. Paul is that Greek is his happy place. I've witnessed with my own two eyes that when Dr. Paul Jackson gets upset, he grabs a piece of paper and a pen and he starts parsing Greek verbs on that. He, that that's his happy place. He knows his Greek. And he says to me kind of offhand, he says, you know, all those words in verses four through seven, they're, they're, they're verbal, right? And so I'm thinking he means verbal, like they're spoken verbally. Yes, clearly they are verbal words. Paul, yes. but Paul said, no, 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 no. I mean, they're all in verb form. They are actions. And, and once you start looking at them, you can, you can see this. They are literally a set of do's and do nots. So, so now, you know, do uh, la, uh, be patient, do be kind, uh, do not keep a record of wrong, do not dishonor others. I'm thinking, you know, um, so, so, so now we can't just look at these and, and say, man, I really need to work on my attitude. I need to just shift my attitude. I'm not loving people in my heart like I ought. No, I also need, you know, I need to do that, but I also need to do patient. I need to do kind. I need to actually keep no records of wrongs. Seriously, keep no records of wrongs. I hate to keep coming back to it, but it, that's not metaphorical, Paul. This is, a, this is a impossibility indeed. It is a beautiful impossibility, but I want to, you know, when I read this, I am feeling the emphasis on the impossible. Now, if I'm honest with you, I was angry when I sat down to write this. This is not a philosophical exercise for me. Is it for you? If not, read verses four through seven again and think about your day. Think about what went on your heart, your mind. Is this a philosophical exercise for you or does this have teeth for you? If it doesn't have teeth yet, read verses four through seven again and, and start being honest with yourself. Let me read you a quote from Stephen Um's commentary on, uh, on 1 Corinthians. He says this, well, what are believers supposed to do with all the impatience, the cruelty, the envy, the boasting, the arrogance, the rudeness, the self-insistence, the irritability, the resentfulness, the wrongdoings they find within themselves. What about all these limits? What about how hard it is to love our spouses, our kids, our friends, our family? What about how hard it is to love my church? If we are completely honest about our sin, it's even hard to love God at times. We are running on empty. Now, I don't know when this was written, but it was written before 2020. And I would say that sentence right there is, you know, let's consider it prophetic. 2020, we are running on empty. 
instead of hearing, as he continues, he says, instead of hearing when we read these verses, what we need to do for God or what we need to do for others, we need to hear, first of all, before that, what love has done for us. This is God's posture towards us in all our brokenness. In love, God is patient with the sinner. Y'all hear me? Y'all feeling the lights coming on a little bit? In love, God is patient with the sinner. In love, God is kind to the sinner. In love, God bears the believer up on his shoulders. In love, God endures us in all our unendurableness. We can't wear him out, and he's not backing down. His love never ends. Listen now, the beautiful impossibility of love is a beautiful possibility with God. That reminds me of something I've read somewhere. What is impossible with humankind is possible with God. Y'all, I was angry when I sat down to write this. I was angry when I sat down to write this. Love is impossible for us. Love like this is impossible for us. But herein lies the lesson. This kind of love is impossible for us because love like this isn't located inside of us. The location of real love comes from outside of us. And to back up what Stephen um says, I want to read 1 John chapter 4. If you've got uh, your Bible with you and want to just uh, uh, turn over to 1 John chapter uh, 4 really quickly, if not, you can just listen to me, uh, verses 7, uh, verse 7, beginning of verse 7 of four, chapter 4 of 1 John, it says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love is not located in us. Love is located outside of us. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed. This is how God did. This is how God did love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God. That's not the locus. That's not the beginning. That's not the genesis of love. We don't need to get down deep and scoop out some more love when we're feeling empty on the inside. A car cannot generate and burn fuel at the same time. It has to go to a pump and be filled up. Listen to me now. He, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He filled us up. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, John says, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to love one another because God has first loved us. We need to love as he loved us. He needs to love the world through us. Right, just keep this open. We're going to come back to this in a second. We're going to look at verse 12 in just a second, but I want to pause here for a second, and, and I pray that what you're seeing here is this. Listen, God, we don't want to soften the meaning of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. God requires love from you, Christian. God commands love from you. God requires patience and kindness out of you. At the same time, he forbids some things. He forbids envy 
in you. He forbids boastfulness in you. He forbids pride in you. He requires that you control your anger. You control your tongue. He requires that you keep no records of wrong. He requires that you honor others in love, that your love would delight in the truth, that it would not delight in evil. He requires this love. He requires this love. He requires this love. Oh, but Christian, I hope you can see that in Jesus Christ, God has provided all that he has required. There is a sacrifice that is caught in the thicket for you, and by his blood, you can be healed. By his love for you, you can love. The great evangelist and author, Watchman Neve, once wrote something like this. I'm, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he said, you need more patience? Forget about praying for more patience. Pray for more Jesus. Jesus is patience. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided what you have required in Jesus Christ. Thank you, that, thank you Lord, that your love for me is patient. Thank you that your love for me is kind, that you, Lord, thank you that your love for me, thank you, Lord, that your love for me keeps no records of wrong. Lord, I need more Jesus today. I was angry when I wrote this, and I need more Jesus. And I feel you near. I feel that anger going. I need more Jesus today. You need more Jesus today. I need more of the patience and the kindness of Jesus in me. I need more of the Jesus that keeps no records of wrong. I need more of that Jesus in me so that I can forgive as I have been forgiven so I can love as I have been loved. Brothers and sisters, let's close by looking at verse 12. First John 4, look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, 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 and his love is made complete in us. Not just me, us. Look, I can, I can say, if you don't know Jesus today, I can say to you intellectually, Jesus loves you. And someone may have said that to you before. I hope they have. It's true. I can say that to you intellectually without a shadow of doubt in my mind. But, and maybe that intellectual argument may persuade you to follow Jesus. I pray that it doesn't, but probably not. But if somebody loves you, as Jesus loves, self-sacrificially, patiently, with a love that doesn't keep records of wrongs. If somebody has loved you as Jesus loves you, if I can love, if Jesus, if I can let Jesus love you through me, then the invisible becomes visible. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. He lives in that transaction. He lives in that action of love. The invisible becomes visible. The shape of love is discernible. The shape of Jesus is discernible. The God who made us is tangible. In this way, 
his love is made complete in us. And that word complete does not mean that there was a failure or an incompleteness in the love of God. What it means, that word complete, it's a special word. It's a word of peace. It's a shalom word. When we let Jesus love us and when we let him love us, love others through us, what follows is shalom. What follows is peace. What follows is rest. What follows is all things new, wrong things made right, lions lying down with lambs and swords being beaten into plowshares. Shalom starts to happen. We're going to be talking about shalom a lot in the coming days. Jesus, Jesus, we need your shalom. We need your peace. We need your rest. The only way to walk to those things is the way of love, the most excellent way. Jesus, we don't come to you today asking to, for more love. We come to you today, today asking for more Jesus. And I pray it may be so for you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.